This episode of the What If Podcast is brought to you in part by Button Poetry, where poetry isn't dead. As the premier place online for live performance videos of spoken word and slam poetry, Button Poetry won't bore you like your high school English textbooks did. Find real stories you'll want to listen to and art you'll actually care about by visiting them today at buttonpoetry.com. Hey, everybody, it's Ryan and Spencer. Hey. And uh, before we hop in, we want to tell you that we lied. Uh, I lied. Well, Spencer lied. I didn't lie to you. But we did tell you last week that last week was going to be the last time we asked you guys to go to whatifpodcast.com slash survey and fill out the survey. But we are going to ask you one more time. We need like four more of you to go do it. Yeah. And and if you're doing this thing right now, we are like, oh, other people will probably do that. You're exactly the person we're talking to. <laughs> no, no, no. We're talking to you. Please, it takes like 20 seconds to go to whatifpodcast.com slash survey and fill it out. And it really, really, really does help us. So if you're thinking like, oh, no, that's just a thing that podcasts ask people to do. Yes, they do. But you are exactly the person and we need also, to go do And also our podcast may disappear if you don't. And that- we will all personally blame you. <laughs> and you'll have to carry that with you for the rest of your life. We will write you a letter that's just a sad face emoji signed Spencer and Ryan. Uh-oh. All right, guys. Uh, today's a fun, weird one. A real weird one. Here we go. Welcome to the What If Podcast with your hosts, Spencer Webb Davis and Ryan Copperreed. Hey, Ryan. Hi, Spencer. What if you bought a fucked up ranch? Oh, boy. <laughs> if... if- if iTunes let us put swear words in the titles, that probably should be what we called this. Yeah. What if you bought a fucked up ranch? They'll just they'll just censor it for us. We could do it. Yeah. What but, if you bought Skinwalker Ranch? Oh boy, I'm so glad I didn't. Well, I mean, it could have been cool for like a minute. Yeah. It We're talking have... Skinwalkers. Oh And man. ranches. Oh man. And cattle mutilations oh, and UFOs. Man. And crop circles and Bigfoots and ghosts <laughs> and poltergeists. <laughs> It does sound weird because, like, for the most part with the shows that we do, we focus on a aspect of the weird. And I didn't really, like, I'd heard about Skinwalker Ranch before. It's pretty lit. It's the littest. It is, <laughs> it is litty as fuck. There's, uh, uh, did you get to the part about the interdimensional predator? Uh, not specifically. Okay. Uh, like Predator is in the movie. Yeah, yo, yeah. I've seen Predator. Yes. Well great, done, great flick, great flick. Um, but but yeah, man, the more that I dug into this, it's been it's been a weird week because it's like I feel like on a weekly basis I can entertain one very like strange, far out this, concept or topic. This one is a big ask. I needed I needed a whole week to be like, all right, man, you got to consider. All 47 of the weirdest fucking things you could possibly wrap your head around. Yep. And that's what we done did. Let's uh let's take it from the tippy. Skinwalker Ranch yeah, is man. located in southeastern sorry, northeastern Utah. Southeastern, you're right. Is it southeastern? southeastern. Okay. Near look, Ballard. Look at me knowing directions okay, kind of sort of. It's all good. Uh it's about 480 acres. And in uh 1994 it was purchased by a family called the Gormans. The Shermans. We can well, say Shermans. Okay. Right? I mean, it's all out there. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We can say the Shermans. The Shermans. The Shermans. It's P. Uh, Sherman, 42 Wallaby <laughs> Way, Sydney. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yanking a, yanking right. a Nemo reference out going, to start things off. Deep with the Finding Nemo God. references right from the tippy. I love Pixar so much. 
Sherman's. Okay. Um, I don't yeah, know so, their real names because I'm going almost entirely from the book Hunt from the Skinwalker. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Which so, then that was prior to them coming out publicly. It was, yeah. So T- Terry and Gwen Sherman is okay. is the family. Uh, they had some kids too who's they did not go public with their children's names Smart. because they were young Smart. at the time. Uh, but Terry and Gwen is the couple that bought it. And so, so actually, Skinwalker Ranch was Sherman Ranch for the years that it was bought, when it was bought. It yes. took on the Skinwalker name later. Yeah. So let's just go through some of the weird shit that happened there, like from day one. Well, I just want to start for a second. Like, so, so Terry and Gwen bought this land in 1994. Um, like Spencer said, uh, it's 480, 500 acres in very, very rural southeastern Utah. The Uinta Basin, which is by the Uinta Mountain Range in southeastern Utah, they bought it as a cattle ranch. They were they were raising what, what he refers to as expensive top-of-the-line heifers, and they had four 2,000-pound show-class bulls yes. in their herd. And just a... a a, a tiny, the tiniest bit of background around the Sherman family is just that Terry, the father of the family, had college degrees and advanced training in animal husbandry, and uh, he was also considered an expert in artificial insemination. Cool. So Terry's a very legit rancher who is, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's just good to get that picture of like why they bought 500 acres of land in the middle of Utah and kind of like who they are as people. They're not just some rednecks in rural Utah. They're like, you know, people with a legitimate business and legitimate degrees. And they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing, living, living a rural life, but a good rural life. Well, you kind of have to, if you're going to raise cattle. Right. Well, I, I realized I just said a good rural life, but as soon as they bought their ranch in 1994, it turns out it wasn't actually such a good rural life. All right. Day one on the property. They're moving in. They're still unloading stuff. Uh-oh. And from the tree line, they see this animal start walking towards them. And at first, they think it's a dog. As it gets closer, they think it's probably a wolf. And as it gets closer and closer, they realize that this wolf is probably about three to four times the size of a normal wolf. And they estimated that it weighed about 200 pounds. Gorilla wolf. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um but it was completely tame. It walked right up to them and it let them pet it and it just was kind of hanging out with them. I don't, for what it's worth, I don't stay to pet a giant wolf. Right. <laughs> like whole, even if it's like, oh, it looks like it's kind of chill and nice. I'm running the fuck away. Right. And we'll get to this later in that yeah, a lot of things just didn't seem right, right. kind of all the time. So this wolf, walks, all the time. <laughs> this wolf walks up and they're just kind of hanging out with the largest wolf that anyone has ever seen. And they turn around for a second and the wolf, it, when they turn back around, it has grabbed onto the head of one of their cows through a fence. So the cow's head was, I guess, sticking through the fence yep. and the wolf just went over and chomped down on it and was trying to pull the cow through the fence or like bite the cow's head off. Trying to take him away. Yeah. Terry runs over and starts kicking the wolf in the ribs and just trying to get this wolf to let go of his cow. As you do. It's not doing anything to him. He's beating the shit out of it, and the wolf doesn't even notice. It doesn't make a sound, doesn't move. So he grabs... <laughs> hey, man, please stop doing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying busy. to eat your fucking cow right now. <laughs> I'm busy trying to pull this cow's head off. <laughs> uh, so he grabs a 357 Magnum and puts three shots into the wolf. Bang. 
Wolf still doesn't do anything. He shot the wolf three times. It does not appear to be bleeding. He has not convinced it in any way to stop trying to eat his cow after shooting it three times point blank with a magnum. My inclination, if you accept sans questioning a 4X wolf <laughs> that weighs 200 pounds, would be like, that's just a fucking beast that can take three shots without being like can, s- super can knocked down. Can anything take three shots from a 357 Magnum at point it, blank? I guess it depends. And also, I mean, are there animals that don't bleed? Well, that's when it starts to get weird. If you shoot anything three times, it's bleeding. There's a lack of bleeding that happens in like multiple different situations in this. We'll get to that. So later. Wolf is still just going at it trying to kill this cow. Yeah. He grabs a, a high-powered rifle and shoots it several more times from point-blank range. Yeah. It still didn't appear injured, but it was annoyed enough that it let go of the cow's head and just slowly walked back to the woods. Terry and his son decide to follow it because they need to kill it. It's going to get the rest of their cows if they yeah. don't. They, they want to kill this thing so it can't take more of their cattle. Right. So they follow it, they start chasing it, and it starts running away from them and accelerating and uh, they sort of lose sight of it when it goes into this group of trees. They track it for a few miles. Um, They eventually follow its tracks to the middle of an open field where the tracks just stop. The wolf is gone. The tracks stop. Fly away. There are no other animal tracks. It has just disappeared. And they're both super shaken about this, not only because they saw, I mean, they saw the biggest wolf anyone has ever seen. It tried to eat one of their cows. Yep. They shot it five or six times without effect. Right. And then it disappeared. Yep. And they just ran several miles chasing it. Yep. So they're exhausted. They're scared. Yep. They're super confused. For sure. And all they could do was just walk back to the house. And hope that it didn't come back around right. backwards. And right. And that was the, that was the first night they were there. That's pretty wild. I mean, I feel like that sets the tone for this story in general, and it also sets the tone for a lot of um, a lot of their time spent there. I think one thing that is important to maybe note at this time is that the Sherman family only owned that ranch from 1994 to 1996, so we'll talk about the sale of the ranch later but i think it's kind of important to realize the amount of things we're about to go through and the fact that they all happened in a two-year period of time because i remember when i was originally investigating this i was like oh this was probably like in the 60s and the family owned the ranch for 25 years and it you know from 19 this was like every every day almost something (laughs) weird was happening yeah um and and if you're skeptical right now I feel you, and so was I, but let's, there's... Let's keep going. Yeah, just keep... Stay with us. Um, as they were there for a while, they started learning some of the history about the ranch, um, both just through their own observations and then from talking to their neighbors and other people around. When they got there, they noticed that every door on the house had several large deadbolt locks on it. All of the windows were bolted, and on the outside of the house on either end... There were big metal chains attached to huge steel rings that were bolted onto the like into the foundation of the house that looked like they were to uh, use to chain up dogs. So whoever lived there 
wanted nothing to do with whatever they thought was outside. Yeah. And, and like, why you got locks on all your kitchen cabinets and on, yeah. all, on like the insides and the outsides of all of the doors in your house. And like, okay, wait, just real quick. Yeah. Where did you find that? Because I've heard that before. I couldn't find that documented. And in that, so I'm, I'm referencing a lot from hunt from the skinwalker by yep. George Knapp and Colm Kelleher. Yep. They didn't say that in there. Which it seems like most of the information about this whole story has come from from George Knapp, their book, yeah, yeah, and their research. It's it's who again? It's George Knapp and what's the other guy's Colm name? Colm Kelleher. Colm Kelleher, who I think was actually on site more than Knapp. I think Knapp came to the party much later. Later, yeah, he he got involved because so. But well, Kelleher spent the better part of years there. Yeah, and we should clarify right now. So George Knapp is a coast to coast. Uh, dude, but before he was on Coast to Coast, he's a journalist. Coast to Coast AM, the radio show. Yeah, sorry. Um, he's a journalist and a TV reporter for KLAS TV in Las Vegas who got looped in because this was such a weird story that he wanted to sort of investigate. Yeah. So I watched a Nap does a presentation in 2000 and I don't know what it was, the late 2000s, either like 2010 or it might have even been later than that. Nap did a presentation about his experience with Skinwalker. The book came out in 05, by the way. 05, okay. So it was probably somewhere it, after that. It was after that. It was like maybe many years after that, like five or six years after that. Okay. Because he does address some of the stuff they had learned since the book came out. But he mentions it on stage in that presentation where he talks about all the locking okay. and all the different sides that locks appeared on and shit like that. Gotcha. So that is actual firsthand information. As far, I mean, as far as I'm yeah. remembering the presentation, yeah. Okay. Um, in addition to all the weird stuff at their house and on their property, there have been tons of reports of weird things happening in that general area. So in the Uinta Basin, there have been thousands of UFO sightings reported. There have been Bigfoot sightings reported. Cattle mutilation was a huge problem in that area and the greater area. Um, and there are stories about that area and about weird things happening in the uh, Ute Native American oral tradition going back as far as 15, uh, 15 generations. The Uinta Basin borders a huge Ute India Re Indian reservation on yes. the eastern side or western side? I don't know. I think the I think the reservation is to the east of the basin in Utah, um, so ostensibly and former land. Yeah, it, it all of was. That yeah, tribe. it all was. Yep. Um, they have, and the the name Skinwalker actually comes from the Utes and possibly Navajo. And the idea of the Skinwalker is that it's a person, a witch, essentially, um, who is purely evil. And can take the shape of any animal and not for good. So the whole idea is that they will attempt to harm people, attempt to trick people into harming or even killing themselves. Yeah. And there are lots of stories about the skinwalker in that area and refer to that basin as being, quote, in the path of the skinwalker. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, there's... The um, name itself is just fucking creepy. Skinwalker. Yeah. Well, and it actually... it. So the tradition, as far as I've been able to suss out, is that the Navajo would wear the skins of animals in different 
rituals and yeah. prayers and ceremonies and things like that. Um, but the idea of the skinwalkers was that they basically used that, the wearing of skins, the putting on of skins as like an evil way to transform into those animals. Right. Actually in the Navajo language, I'm not, honestly, I'm not even going to try. I apologize, but I don't want to botch it so bad that I won't, but there is a Navajo phrase for skinwalker that isn't actually skinwalker. Um, but the, but the translation of it is he or she who goes on all fours is like the, yeah. the, the Navajo translation. So it's basically these people who go from two-footed animals and turn into four-legged animals. Monster-like animals. Monster-like animals. Like 200-pound wolves that are right. bulletproof. For the exclusive purpose of doing harm, yes. to causing trouble. Usually indirectly, though, which is... I think an important distinction. Yeah, it's it is kind of strange. It's well, and there's, we'll get to a, this in a second. Sort of a trickster element to it. If I'm not going to hurt you, I'm going to do some weird shit that sort of puts you in a bad situation or tricks you, you into right. hurting yourself somehow. Right. I don't think anywhere in the story, at least to humans, there's any direct physical harm that's happening. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think there is either. Actually, not that I was able to find any. Animals are fucked, but the humans, <laughs> yeah. for the most part. Not harmed. Yeah, and and just to add one more thing on to the the Skinwalker thing, George Knapp in an interview, or I guess in the presentation that I watched of him, he talks about how difficult it was to write the book because they were bringing up these animals and saying, hey, like we got told about the pastime, you know, the lore of Skinwalkers as it relates to this culture. And because it's such a... um there's a lot of American Indians in the area. Uh, people like wouldn't talk to him about it. Right. Like it's a very sacred, like scary, like it's a little bit Voldemorty almost. In in that, like if you say if you say the name, like you're going to be the next or potentially the next. Like you're drawing the attention of a Skinwalker yeah. by calling out their existence. Almost. Yeah. And that, they talk about that in <clears throat> the Hunt for the Skinwalker too. That. Um, the Ute and Navajo people are very hesitant to talk about many parts of their culture, but especially the skinwalker with outsiders. Sure. Partially out of fear that it will call attention to it and call attention to themselves mm. um, and possibly uh, create a bad situation with the skinwalker. It's they, I mean, The whole idea being that they take it very seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that they don't really want to talk about or share this information with right. outsiders like like let let well enough alone and like let's not yeah even and yeah. i i mean i get the general hesitation to share elements of your culture with white people at this point too. yeah there's also that <laughs> important i, I don't element. think it's, it's unique just to this just to skinwalkers i think there's general hesitation um, when it comes to native american culture but but maybe amplified by the danger involved. Right. Okay. Shit continues to get more weird and and worse. Yeah, we only really talked about day one and the condition of the home, but... Yeah, all right. They start experiencing basically poltergeist activity. So things, items will be moved. Items will disappear in the house. Um, one day, Terry was using a post digger. This is my favorite one of all of them, man. To, he was digging holes to, to put up a new fence and to put the fence post in the ground. And he sets the, the post digger down and he walks to his trench or to his truck to get a wrench. 
and he returns to grab the pole, the post digger, mm-hmm. and it's not there. And he's annoyed, thinking one of his kids grabbed it or his wife moved it or something. Sure, and, sure. And he walks inside to ask where it is or if someone had moved it. No one had seen it. No one had touched it. The kids and his, and his wife, Ellen, is that her actual name? Uh, Gwen. 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 Okay. Sorry. I have the wrong names because of the book that I read. That's okay. They used fake names and then later revealed their real names. That's okay. So if I call Terry Tom <laughs> or if I call Gwen Ellen or whatever her name was. We're talking about the same people. Yeah, for, and and actually, maybe worth clarifying right now, as an investigative journalist, Knapp wrote the book with interviews from them, but they were not comfortable exposing their personalities because they felt like people would think that they were crazy based on yeah, the were, things that happened. They were very private about the whole thing. Yeah, and they sort of got outed, like they didn't come out and say this is who we are but they sort of got outed by people figuring it out after the book came out there which are only so many seems, options of people who own 500 right. acre ranches in that right. area and that yeah. shit's public information to see who bought a home or bought right you property. go find the property records right yeah. so so people figured it out and then after that they came out and they have since been interviewed in newspapers in the salt lake area and things like that about things after the fact so that's just a little bit of clarifying information about the reason for the name change. Yeah. So, uh, Terry goes inside to see if anybody has moved the post digger. No one has, they come outside to help him look for it. It's like weeks later though, right? That, okay. Sorry. So, go ahead, go ahead, so go ahead. They, they look for like 30 minutes. None of them can find it and they just give up. And months later, it was months. Okay. The same tool appears at the top, like lodged in the branches of a 20 foot tall tree. <laughs> and there, just to reiterate, there are four people on this ranch. Right. Husband, wife, two kids. Right. So if anybody's fucking with them, it's his wife or his kids. Right. And they took months to do it and they climbed a 20 foot tree and there was no motivation. It would have been purely they, to fuck with them. And they stole the fence post digger. While he was literally walking to his truck and turned around. Right. And would have had to hide it somewhere for months. Tops, probably less. And then would have had to help him look for it and keep a straight face the whole time. And like, it's just, it's so improbable that one of the four of them was doing this. Totally. And, and uh, I think even go further into like reasons why I originally started skeptically and then got confused along the way is like, the thing about that is, that's not even really a good story. Like, right. it's like right. if you were going to invent something crazy that happened on your ranch, it's not really a good story. It's just my post digger was up in the yeah, tree. I lost a tool and then <laughs> I found it in a weird place. Like, that's not that's not even really good lore or folklore. It's just really fucking weird. It, it just doesn't like it, it. Doesn't even sound like something you would make up to be like. Isn't that wild? It's like not. I mean, yeah, but like. They're very specific sometimes, too. Like, uh, Gwen talks about she would be using something in the kitchen. Yeah. Like, she'd be using a knife. She'd set it down on the counter, and then she would turn around, and the knife would be in the microwave. So not only had it moved or disappeared, but that would make a bunch of noise. Right. You're going to open and close the microwave, and you're going to put something metal in it. I read one about the groceries. Like, they would, like she would put away groceries or take out groceries or like something with, she would buy groceries and like they would go in and out of the cabinets. Like she'd put things away and then she'd come back and they'd be like back on the counter or back on the table or back in bags or some shit. 
And I remember being like, that again, that's but not that's, even. It's also some classic poltergeist shit. It is some classic poltergeist shit. You're right. Objects moving on their own. Yeah. Objects disappearing and reappearing later. Stacking of objects in weird ways is right. often a poltergeist thing. Right. And yet shit continues to get stranger. So after, uh, this is probably a few weeks into them being there now, they they look outside from their house into the field next to their house and they see, <laughs> Ryan's, Ryan's giving me double thumbs up and a huge grin. Because I think I know where you're going with this one and it's okay. really weird. Um, and he sees <laughs> this, all weird, this light out in the in the field and he goes out or uh terry goes outside to see what it is and at first he thinks it's some like a truck or something out in the field and he and his his son start following it and it turns or it doesn't turn it just starts backing away from them so this light starts moving away from them silently for, yeah, what, there's, for what it's worth. There, there's no sound at this point. <laughs> Although he doesn't say exactly how far away from it he was, so yeah, maybe it would have been far enough that you wouldn't hear the engine noise if it was just sort of idling. Another thing to clarify, sorry, really quickly, is just that like seeing a vehicle on their property is not... A that th- alone is a problem. Is a problem. I, like It is private property. You have yep. to drive a mile plus down a dirt road to get there. Yeah. And then they weren't even on a road. They were out in the field next to their house. Right. And so best case scenario, (laughs) there is an intruder on their property shining their lights of their truck at their house. Right. They go outside and they they start going towards this, what they think is like a truck or a tractor or something. And it starts moving away from them. And they start chasing it. And it starts moving away faster. And at one point, it just they think drives straight into the tree line and continues moving in a straight line as if what they thought was a truck is just driving through a dense forest in a straight line. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But the trees blasting fucking trees, (laughs) the trees aren't moving. There's no sound. Um, They eventually catch up to it a little bit and he describes it as being roughly the size and shape of a refrigerator. And it's not driving, it's hovering off the ground, and as they get closer to it, it starts flying higher and higher off the ground, and eventually just disappears. Wee! Yeah. <laughs> and Way too many fucking things just wee away into the universe. In the, in the book, uh, Nap or Kelleher, it's, it's hard to tell who's writing what sometimes because it's yeah there are two authors but it's written from a single perspective which i think is usually nap telling kelleher's experiences it sounds like interesting but they interview the family a lot too right but the whole thing is written sort of in first person as in like i saw the refrigerator no as in terry told me about okay or then later it, when they're doing the investigations of it, I'm assuming it's Kelleher because I think he did led the investigation. Yeah. He's talking firsthand about their experiences that they then had as investigators later. Anyway, they, so sometimes he interjects about um, how these things relate to the bigger picture or understanding of the paranormal. Yeah, sure. So at this point, he interjects about UFOs and specifically flying refrigerator UFOs. Sweet. And how... In Brazil, they're so common that they have their own name. Flying refrigerator UFOs are so common in Brazil that they have their own Brazilian word for it? Yes. Actually, it would be Portuguese, sorry. Sure. 
the Brazilian people have made a, have created a name for flying refrigerator UFOs that shoot beams of light at people, and they are called chupas. Tight. And in the in the eighties, why the fuck is that a thing? Right. In the eighties, Jacques Vallée, who, if you're familiar with UFO lore, is a is the a world. Yeah, he, he's an important dude in UFO research. Went to Brazil in the eighties to study these. Show me your refrigerators. <laughs> and he, through his investigations in Brazil, found that at least five people had been killed by them. So these like dropped a refrigerator on them. No, so these big flying refrigerators would shoot a beam of light at you. What? And if it hit you, a few days later, you would either be fine or you would drop dead. Fuck that. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> fuck that. And there were, there were hundreds of reports of them through the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. Dude, that is super weird. So they got chupas on their fucking property. <laughs> you, you've, been, you've been chupid. Uh-oh. Amazing. <laughs> Shout out to the Boogie Monster podcast. I feel like they wouldn't care that I'm stealing their their sounds. Their uh-oh. That's, that's Mr. Kyle Kinane, who might might uh, <laughs> interject once in a while yeah. when we talk about scary yeah. shit. Um, do you have do you have more UFO stuff? Because I have more UFO stuff. I do have more UFO okay. stuff, but you you can go for it if you want. Well, no, I just have a. Uh, you go ahead. You have more specific stories. I have a. I have a thing from an article that lists like the vastness of the UFO stuff. Okay. Um, before we get to that, I forgot one thing earlier about the general reports of weird shit around the area, but not specifically on the ranch. Oh yeah. Um, there was a, uh, state patrol officer in New Mexico near this area, just across the border into New Mexico, who reported seeing a man in a white mask running alongside his patrol car. As he drove down the freeway at 70 miles per hour. Yikes. So he's driving down the freeway in his patrol car, sees something out of the corner of his eye, turns to look, and it's a dude just forest gumping his ass down the freeway in a fucking white mask and turns and looks at him and stares at him through the window until the patrol officer just got off the freeway. This dude paced a 70 mile an hour car for as long as he felt like it. Skinwalker. Yes. Skinwalker. <laughs> yes. Fuck, that's fucking weird, man. Yeah. Kind of gives that me that visual the, is fucking horrible. Yeah, it gives me like the little feeling. Uh huh. Anyway, UFOs. They yeah. saw they saw lots of them on their property. Yeah. The you, you got a complete list. I just have a I have a cool snippet from this article. Um, a shout out to the night sky.org. Um, they collected a bunch of clips from the articles that Knapp wrote and that were uh, George Knapp wrote, and then um, clips from other stuff that was written in uh, the Deseret News, which is like a Salt Lake City paper. Um, but yeah, so they're they're talking about the uh, the UFO activity that happened at Skinwalker Ranch, and it says basically after they talk about the refrigerator incident the article reads and i'll just i'll just do the direct quote let's call it a chupa, the chupa okay. incident after the chupa incident before long everyone in the family was seeing peculiar aerial objects mrs sherman says something that resembled a stealth fighter but ringed with blinking disco lights silently hovered 20 feet above her vehicle 
one night before simply zipping off. They saw that one a lot. Yeah. Uh, Each family member had repeated sightings of a cloud that usually hovered just outside the property. The cloud was characterized as having blinking Christmas tree lights or silent mini explosions inside it. I'm spooked as heck. (laughs) Among the other aerial craft seen by the Shermans, their neighbors and other witnesses were classic flying saucer objects, flying sombreros, shafts of light similar to fluorescent bulbs, and a cigar-shaped craft Several football fields long. <laughs> the flying sombrero is the best one. Dude, just the... Just the oh, fuck, it's a hat! <laughs> it's a really big hat! Get down! <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Can I, can I wear it? Just for like a sec. <laughs> you look at it, dude, that's, that's the worst part, though. And what leads me to believe that a lot of this was something intentionally fucking with people. Because... If you go tell anyone that you saw a giant hat flying above your house, they're going to LOL in your fucking face. And that's it. Yeah. You can't even continue the conversation at that point. No, yeah, there was there was a fucking 30 foot wide sombrero outside my front door this morning. You didn't see it? That was just me? Oh, all right. All right. All right. Cool. I'm going to go take my crazy back inside. Can we talk about... The mo- to me the most terrifying of the maybe UFO anomalous vehicle shit. Uh yeah, I don't know if I have any more, which means you might have a you story. Know, you, you know about this one. All right, Gwen slash Ellen is inside one night and she yeah. looks out the window and she sees again a light out in the field next to their house and she describes it as looking like an RV. She said it's about two hundred yards from the house. She looks out. She can see that it's like there's a light on inside the RV and she she can see into it. And she sees a man who she said was roughly seven feet tall, dressed entirely in black. It's Bigfoot. And he's wearing some sort of black visor over his face. It's Darth Vader. So I'm imagining, (laughs) you know, the. uh, It's totally Darth Vader. It has to be. Who are the the stormtroopers, but they wear all black? Uh, like the Imperial, whatever the fucks. The Imperial Guard was the red, all red dudes. Oh no, not those guys. All black dudes are the ones that are the Tie Fighter guys. Yeah, those guys. So yeah. there's a fucking seven foot tall Tie <laughs> Fighter pilot <laughs> sitting at a desk inside an RV outside of her house in your in your field. Yeah, two hundred yards. So that's pretty damn close to your house. Yeah, especially when you live on five hundred fucking acres of land. She's at home by herself at this point. Uh, fuck. Terry. Terry. I, I, I keep looking at my notes and seeing Tom and Ellen, and no, I keep good. fucking it up. Sorry, man. Terry slash Tom is out of town. She calls him and says, get your ass back here. <laughs> Andre the Giant is in an RV in I'm, our front yard. I'm watching Star Wars in real life, babe. Get your <laughs> ass home. He rushes home. He gets there the next morning. The RV is gone. And they go outside because she she calls him. She locks the doors. She takes her ass to bed and yep. does not deal with Bigfoot in the Tie Fighter uniform. Yep. The next morning they go out to the spot where she saw it. The RV is gone, but next to where it was, they see eighteen inch long footprints in the mud. How do you first of all? How do you go to bed? How what are else you are like, you gonna do? Fucking leave. You gotta go outside though. You gotta go past Bigfoot in his spacesuit RV out there. I feel like I'm like going to a hotel and I'm not coming back. 
if you can work up the balls to get out the front door into your car, you got to walk past that thing. Maybe you just drive your car straight into the, the <laughs> RV and see what happens. <laughs> just charge right at it and see what happens. All right. So just to recap, we've got maybe Bigfoot in an RV. 18, 18 inch footprints. We've got flying hats, flying refrigerators with death rays, flying multi football field long cigar shaped objects. We got black triangles, a classic. Black triangles. We have poltergeist activity, exploding clouds, exploding clouds <laughs> that don't make any sound, knives in the microwave. We have 200 pound interdimensional wolf things. We now also have portals appearing in the sky. And we're going to take a quick break right now, and we're going to come back with all the portal goodness you could possibly desire Uh on the What If Podcast. This episode of the What If Podcast is brought to you in part by Button Poetry. Check them out right now by visiting buttonpoetry.com. Button Poetry is nothing like the traditional poetry you heard in high school, And they're certainly not the same old, boring, dead guys that are going to put you to sleep. Button Poetry features poets of all ages, races, sexual orientations, and backgrounds. And as a poetry press and an online destination for spoken word and slam poetry videos, Button Poetry publishes poetry that moves people. They believe that real, current stories and real, current voices are more necessary now than ever. You know, everyone says changing the world with art is impossible, but at Button Poetry, they're sure going to try. So check out everything they have to offer. There's books, there's videos, there's commentary, there's learning, there's education. There's so much stuff uh, that you can get by checking them out at buttonpoetry.com. Today, you will fall in love with poetry all over again, or maybe for the very first time. Damn, you didn't tell me you f- around with portals and shit. God, that's <laughs> hey, so here we good. are. All right. This is What If Podcast. We're talking about Skinwalker Ranch and portals and UFOs and cattle mutilations and, and if crop not, circles. And, and if you're not sufficiently weirded out yet, spoiler alert. We got you. It gets weirder. <laughs> we got you. Dozens of times, Terry and primarily Terry, but other, other members of, of his family saw what he described as a large orange ball that would appear in the sky just above the trees. He said it looks sort of like the sun, but it would only happen after dark. You think the Sasquatches were hooping at night? Huh? Do you think the Sasquatches were hooping I heard you. I just don't know what you mean. Like they were seeing like the basketball that the Sasquatches were hooping with. Just stationary in the sky? I don't know. And illuminated? Maybe they control it with their minds and shit. I'm going to (laughs) say no. I'm uh, going to say probably not. I like my idea more than the terrifying potential of the situation (laughs) so he sees this big orange ball up in the sky he decides to grab he's got a a rifle with like a magnifying scope on it pulls it out and he looks through the scope don't look just shoot (laughs) don't look (laughs) just shoot so he's he's now looking more closely at this what he thought was an orange ball and he realizes that it's actually flat it's like two-dimensional so if you're looking straight at it it looks round like a sphere but if you were to look at it at an angle, you can't actually see it because it doesn't have 
any depth. It's to like it. a piece of paper. Exactly. He also realized that when he looked closely at it, he could see what appeared to be a blue sky in it. What? So it's, I did not read that. Yeah. So it's the it's fuck that. It's night. It's midnight, one in the morning. Yeah. And he sees this big orange ball appear in the sky, and he looks closely at it, and he can see like through it to a place where it is still light out. Whoa. He described it as this is uh, Terry described it as like a window to another location where it was still daylight out. On one occasion, he's looking into this window portal ball thing. We'll call Over, it. A, we'll call it a portal. We'll call it a a basket basketball basket portal. Squatch a squatch bas- ball. Basquatch <sighs> ball. Holy shit! <laughs> I'm buying basquatchball.com right now. <laughs> it's really hard to say. He's looking at this basquatch ball. Yep. And he sees in the center of it a black dot. And as he's looking at it for a, a minute, two minutes, the dot is growing in size. <laughs> and after a few minutes, it has gotten to the size where it's basically filling the the whole uh, width of the portal. And he realizes that it's not a dot, but it is a black triangle. And out of the fucking portal flies the black triangle UFO that they had been seeing. No way. Yes. So Terry came to the conclusion that this was literally a portal to either another location or another dimension or another time where these things that they were seeing existed and originated from. But Jesus. he also realized that the only place where you could see it flat, where you could actually see this portal, was from the house. Mm. So if he went out into the yard at more of an angle, it disappeared. It disappeared, or it looked like he said it, it looked like basically a um, like a very translucent, barely there orange cloud mm. that you wouldn't really. That wouldn't stick out. It like would look a like a haze or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or it would look like you, a cloud in the sky, basically. It would, oh, it would sure. totally blend into the surroundings unless you were looking at it Directly at exactly on. the right angle, straight on. Mm. In which case, you saw UFOs fly out of it. <laughs> Big difference. <laughs> Big difference. So, add to the list, we now have interdimensional portals appearing seemingly at random, and we have UFOs flying out of them. Yeah, man. We got to just like run through the rest of this list because I really want to get to what in the fuck might be happening here and the investigation side of things. And we're like way deep time wise already. All right. So let's, why don't we, I mean, we can skip a few weird things that happen. We can get like, we could talk about, well, I want to talk orbs and I want to talk cattle mutilation. I think those are the two most important ones left. Let's go. Okay. The orbs. So the whole family regularly saw flying blue orbs all over the property. Yes. They were somewhere they were not all the same size, but they were usually somewhere between the size of a baseball and a basketball. Yep. So diameter of maybe three inches up to seven or eight. Yeah, whatever. Ish, a foot, whatever. And they seemed to be made, they were usually blue, and they seemed to be made of some sort of liquid. So if you were to look at it up close, it seemed like you could see like swirling, moving liquid inside of this orb. It's blue Powerade. Yeah, basically. The best Powerade. <laughs> Just Powerade orbs. That and the white Powerade. Ooh. The white frost. Jesus. That's a that's a rough name. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so they saw these blue flying orbs 
eight to ten inches across usually. They also they were seemed to be like glass filled with liquid is what they looked like. Yeah, yeah. But they they emitted light too and bright enough usually that if they were they they usually saw them three four feet off the ground and they were bright enough that they illuminated the ground beneath them as mm. they flew around. Terry and Gwen encountered them one night, and it just one of them flew right up to them, like a foot away from them, and they were both instantly overcome with just abject terror, total fear. couldn't couldn't move. They were shaking. They were sweating. They were just petrified, and they they felt like that the emotion that the fear was being instilled in them by the orb, not that they were actually afraid of it, but that it was somehow manipulating them to feel a certain way. Sure. They thought that a lot of the things that happened on the ranch either could can, could influence their emotions or somehow fed off of their emotions. Sure. So they would gain some sort of energy out of the fear or the paranoia that they created in, in the people there. Just a quick thing to interject here that I thought was really interesting from some of the interviews with Knapp that I was uh, was was watching for this. He does say that, like, over time, the things that were happening, there was almost an ebb and flow with the people and things happening on the ranch mm-hmm. and the super strange paranormal things that were happening. He almost referred to it as a conversation. Yeah. One thing happens and then something kind of pushes back in the other direction and then because of that push, another thing happens. And, and we can get into that more in the in the investigation part too yeah, because yeah. He, he felt like it was influenced by the specific people that were there and how they interacted with these elements too. So we've got orbs. We sure do. One night, Tom, fuck. Terry. Terry. I'm going to just stop looking at my notes because it says Tom. No, it's all good. I'm going to go find and replace on it whenever it says Tom. I'm just going to yell Terry Terry when you say Tom. (laughs) Tom. Terry! (laughs) Terry sees one of these orbs and he's just fucking annoyed. He was getting to the point after a year and a half, two years of living there and dealing with this shit constantly. I would be be losing my mind. I mean, literally. He had three dogs that he just let loose after this orb and they chased the orb. And the orb went off into these woods. The dogs chased it, and Terry followed behind the dogs. Soon after the dogs entered the the woods behind the orb, he hears all three of them yipping and squealing and barking. He walks in there, and all he sees, the orb is gone, the dogs are gone. He sees three like black oozing spots on the ground and smells burning. So this orb somehow, in a matter of seconds, incinerated all three of his dogs and then disappeared. You can tell me you saw an orange light in the sky and a ship flew out of it, and I can be like, all right. Sure you did, Terry. Sure you did, Terry. Uh, Sounds pretty weird, bud. Bet bet you had a weird day. And I can kind of keep it moving. But, like, the three family dogs are dead. And they've been replaced with black splotches on the ground. Like... That smell like... Burning dogs. People who knew the family, the family itself, etc. They had friends and neighbors. I have a quote I'm going to read later talking about the neighbors. They had relationships with the people that were, I mean, there are multiple ranches in this area. They're, they're not bordered by national parks or anything. There's, this there is what a lot of people around. do yeah. in this area. Yeah. Um, 
their family dogs are gone. Right. That's a that is a an evidentiary measure, measurable change. Yes, in in the real world of uh of the Sherman Ranch or the Skinwalker Ranch, I feel like the the crossover from the paranormal to the physical is a thing that happens in a lot of these stories too. I think one thing we didn't necessarily mention was that um I think maybe in the in the first story when they shot the dog the, it, the big wolf thing the you mean the big wolf dog at the uh, the day the, one thing yeah, yeah, yeah. that they like blew a blew a chunk of the dog off or something like that I So yeah he he could see that the shot went through the wolf yeah so it created an entry and exit wound and a chunk of the dog's fur slash flesh flew right. off and then it was instantly sealed. Yeah. There was no blood. There was no sign of a wound. So, and, and when they walked after it though, there was some fur like on the ground. Oh, right? I, didn't, I, I don't know. I didn't get that. I think that's what he was saying when he was telling the story because he was kind of trying to highlight this thing that I find really fascinating and strange. The idea that you can see something, but if you see a ghost, you see a ghost, and you go, "Dude, I saw a fucking ghost," and you go, "Cool, bring me back a, a something a ghost tangible shirt. and physical." Yeah, show me the ghost shirt so I can know that a ghost was here. And it seems like in a lot of but these stories, but he turned my doorknob and rattled some stuff in the basement. Right. Which I'm not saying that isn't a possibility. I'm just it's saying not. that <laughs> there's just uh, there's just uh, too many too many times where there isn't anything left over, and it seems like. Okay, if you're making this up, you have to kill all three of your family dogs at the same time and bury them somewhere on your land and go, oops, the dogs disappeared. Not even that. You have to set them on fire. I mean, I guess, yeah. Or something on fire. Incinerate them. Right. No, and we yeah, we can get into the, the theories and causes and motivations later, but they, they, there are a lot of... This one crosses over and back between... The paranormal, the metaphysical, the alternate dimension, all the weird shit, and the very real physical world yeah. that we live in all day, every day, many times. It just totally blurs the line between the two in a right. way that most of these other stories that cover any of these topics don't. Right. It is usually, I saw a light in the sky or something weird happened that I can't explain. Right. This one has all of that coupled with my animals disappeared or there's physical evidence left behind or my neighbors saw the same thing I saw or right. the sheriff in this place said, yeah, that's been happening for 50 years or right. It's a, it's a different level of interaction with whatever this thing is than most of these types of paranormal stories offer. And speaking of the physical evidence, the last thing that we'll cover before we get into some of the what is all of this is maybe some of the most physical evidence that happened at Skinwalker Ranch because there's both video and photos of it. But oh, yeah, this is a cattle farm, right? And uh, I don't know exactly how long into them living there this first incident happened i think it was like a couple months a couple three months you're talking about the cattle mutilation stuff yeah yeah it wasn't right away it was it was probably a couple i think it was a couple months in so one day terry wakes up looks out into the field 
and realizes that one of his cows, we said earlier, they got 80 cows in this place. One of his cows is laying down on the ground. So he immediately goes out. He's thinking like it's sick, whatever. He goes out and through the left eye of the cow, through the pupil, there's about an inch wide hole oh, I don't, oh. straight into its left eye. I don't know this specific one. And is dead. His cow's dead. Yeah. And that's the only thing wrong with it is that there's it he the way that it was described by Knapp in the interview he had with Terry was he said it almost looked like a punch cut. You know how the, you can have those round punches that mm-hmm. you can tap into a surface and pull out what's almost like a coring device. Yeah. He said it was almost as if the animal had been cored into its head. Ugh. Sorry. If Yuck. sorry guys. Uh yeah. we need the fucking Push a T. Yuck. Yuck. Um, and that was the first dead cow they experienced on the property. So the cattle mutilation thing is not in any way unique to the Skinwalker Ranch. Right. Uh, the, the idea behind it is that starting in Colorado, but then this has happened in, I think, 15-ish states, including Minnesota. Shout yep. out to Minnesota Cattle. Cattle will, for unexplained or non-apparent reasons, wind up dead, usually with parts of their body removed. So it's often um, the internal organs are removed. Often the tongue is cut out. Uh, Many times one ear will be cut off. Um, And the cuts are very, they're surgical. They're very clean. They look like they were done with a scalpel or even a, a laser type of cut. So it's it's not something that would be done by predators or by insects. And again, sort of on the recurring theme with Skinwalker, there's no blood present at any of these. So on the the Sherman Ranch, they found one of their cattle with the entire hindquarters basically removed all of the internal organs removed, one ear cut off, and there's no blood anywhere, not on the ground, not in the animal. The animal itself had been drained of blood and there was none on the ground. And they're finding this routinely on on their ranch. They also had cows just disappear. I have a great quote from, uh, there's a newspaper in the Salt Lake area that I mentioned earlier. It's called, uh, you, can, you can go there, it's still functioning deseretnews.com d-e-s-e-r-e-t news.com in it they have an interview with terry sherman who obviously his his cattle are disappearing and they ask him about it and he says we about rode the saddle horses to death looking for cattle until we realized they were vanishing so as a as a farmer who's if you're you, you got eighty cattle, they are in many ways your livelihood. In every way, I mean, each one of those is worth thousands of dollars, right? That so you if, can't really replace, right? And you've got them all ear tagged and shit, and you got eighty in a pasture, and you go, wait, why is there only seventy nine out today? You go get on your horse, and you go, it probably fucked off and went to go find something, and then ran mm-hmm. where you're on five hundred acres of land for Christ's sake, like it could be in a lot of places. There were also. A, re- a recurring theme with all this stuff is that the animals were constantly spooked. 
Yeah, I saw, they, I they, read about they that. would react to things that people couldn't see. They seemed nervous. Their behavior was often odd. They would refuse to go to certain parts of the ranch. I saw one thing that said that sometimes they would separate strangely as if there something was something was moving, moving through between the herd. them. Mm-hmm. They would sort of break and run in opposite directions as mm-hmm. if there was almost like an animal moving through the herd, but there wasn't, to not tie, visibly anyway. To tie these last... So this is a very real problem for the Shermans because it is it is costing them money. Their margins are already slim. To replace one of those cows is going to be thousands of dollars, and now they're down four, five, six, seven out of 80. I mean, they they in one year... They lost twenty per almost twenty percent of their herd. Yeah, fourteen in like in like three to four months is what one of the. So you're taking I I mean, for the year at that point, you're taking a huge loss. Also, you're, you're making no money that year. And I don't want to be graphic, but I do want to say this because like there is video and images of the actual cattle mutilations on Skinwalker Ranch that you can go find online. We probably won't put them in the show notes or like on the website because that's a little aggressive, but it's out there if you really want to find it. Google me, baby. But there are there are elements of each of these that are similar and are so strange. The, w- the way that they look and they're presented, one of them was a calf who... Ugh. It was, it, this one know, is really rough, yeah. It, it had to have been somewhere in the realm of 40 to 60% of the animal was gone basically they ear tagged it it was a fresh calf that had only been around for like a month they go you know what we got to put a we got to put an ear tag on it they tag this calf they walk a hundred yards to go find other you know see if they're if the other mamas had given birth or anything they're walking back up the hill towards their house not 30 minutes later and the calf that they had just ear tagged is missing the ear that they had tagged and has has lost sixty pounds of its weight. It's splayed out. I mean, literally, there's there's video camera footage of them coming upon it, and and it looks like like a fucked up science experiment almost. It's really rough. Yeah. It's really really weird. And and I and I don't I don't say that to be graphic. I say that to say, in my mind, when I'm hearing this, I go. Predators, birds, fucking wolves, fucking whatever. You're in the middle of the, it's, you know, cougars. It's happening in that that instance specifically happened in no more than 20 minutes. Right. From the time that they were with it, left and came back, 20 minutes passed. And like, we've all seen the Nat Geo footage of a lion fucking taking down a gazelle. But and there's, there's going to be blood. blood there's going to be blood and, everywhere. Exactly. It's going to still be there trying to eat what it just killed. Right. Or it's going to drag it off somewhere. And none of this looks anything like that. There are going to be tracks. Video. There's going to be signs of struggle. Right. That's the other thing. There are, no, there are never any tracks. So it's, it's almost as if the... Unless they're 18 fucking inch long... Sasquatch. But I'm, I'm saying I'm saying around no, I know. I'm the, the cows that are being mutilated, there's no sign of struggle. So if if a cow is attacked by an animal, it's gonna put up a fight. Right. They're gonna be Mama claw marks. Will, there's gonna be yeah. you know, the the ground is gonna be disturbed, there are gonna be tracks. There's gonna be blood everywhere. There's gonna be blood everywhere. Stomachs and kidneys and shit. It's not going to be immediately missing internal organs. If that's happening, it's through insects and predators much later. Right. And it, it's it's as if this has happened somewhere else, and then it's just been deposited there. Yeah. Because even if a per if a person was doing it, 
A, it would take time. Yeah, it takes. B, it would make a lot of fucking noise and a mess. It would be. It would a make mess. a mess. There would be tracks from the person. You would see a person. You would hear a person. There would be a vehicle. Right. None of that is happening. Right. It's like it gets yanked into some other place. This shit happens, and it gets dropped back. The 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 video of the calf was particularly disturbing to me the way that it almost looked like it had been put back down and all of its legs were spread out in all four corners but it did look like it had almost come out of like a science experiment or a cooler the way that it it had been basically dissected it's fucking weird guys there okay i'm weirded out one one (laughs) more on the one more on the cattle mutilation thing terry comes across one of his cows laying in in his field not with the rest of the herd. Right. And he goes over to it to see what's going on. And its front two legs are both broken. Yeah. He's, I think he's on horse. He goes back to the house to grab some, I, I don't know how husband, a, animal husbandry works. Some sort of. Something to help. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever tools he needs to help and then move this cow. And he comes back. And when he comes back, all four legs are broken on the cow. Ugh. And nothing else has changed. There's no other injury to the cow. It's just sitting there. It's in the same spot with all four legs broken. Like it just got dropped there. Ugh. Like it was picked up and dropped from a high enough height to break all its legs. From an orange basquatch ball? So the orbs were maybe, I know you're talking about the portal, but the orbs were at least once involved in this. Terry goes out to the field one night. He sees, he's on horse, on his horse, and a red orb about the size of a golf ball from out of the woods comes flying straight at him. Fast enough that it spooks his horse, badly enough that his horse kicks him off. And then this thing just flies off in the distance. He calms his horse down, he gets back on. Another one comes at him, and his horse just takes off with him still on it. And his horse is running towards this, uh, like a cliff, a drop-off, down to this river that runs through their property. Yikes. So it's about a 10 to 15 foot drop down to this river or creek that runs through their property. Uh-oh! There we go. <laughs> and his horse is going straight at it. So he realizes he's going over the edge. And Terry just has to dive off. So he, he dismounts. And at the last second, the horse pulls up and stops. He gets up, turns around, and sees that these two orbs are now out in the herd of cattle, flying around them, up above their heads and kind of weaving through the cattle. They, like you were talking about earlier, they kind of separate, move out of the way of, of these things, and they they seem annoyed by the orbs. Like, they can clearly see them. Yeah. And after a few minutes, one of the orbs starts coming back towards where Terry and his horse are, by this, by this drop-off down to the river, and it seems to be luring the cows with it. So this orb comes at him, goes over to the cows, messes around with the cows for a while, and then starts heading towards the river, and the cows start following it. On some lemming shit? Like it's yes. trying to le- like lead the cows off a cliff? And it did. It led a group of about 20 cows off the side of this cliff and they just fell 10 or 15 feet down into this ravine, ravine along the uh, the river. 
And one of them died and a couple of them broke legs and had serious injuries because they followed an orb over a cliff. And again, it's, it's this, this intersection of something very real and physical and measurable is happening. Right. I got dead cows. I, I got a I, fixed broken I watched legs. it happen. Right. I watched other things react to it and watch it happen. They're real physical consequences to whatever it was that just happened. And yet I have no idea what just happened and no explanation for it. It's happened over and over. By July of 96, they had been there for about two years. <laughs> it they had lost 15 plus cattle. Yep. They were losing money. Yep. They were all terrified, hadn't slept. They were stressed. They were starting to have some issues just day-to-day living. I mean, They lost three dogs. Their kids hated it. I feel like at, to some extent at this point, you know, you can be skeptical about how many of these things did or didn't happen, how much of this was, you know, amplified by the retelling of a journalist who dabbled in this world, etc. But at the end of the day, a real family who was just a farming family in southeastern Utah had these experiences. And even if there were or had some version of these experiences, I guess is what I should say. And even if some of the the things are amplified, I feel like just the paranoia element of things would be so insane after a short list of these few things mm-hmm. happening to you that, I mean, I don't know how the fuck they lasted two years, man. I, I wouldn't have lasted two months. I wouldn't have lasted two weeks. I'd be like, not to mention this shit. I'm out. <laughs> not, not to mention your, your business is failing at the same time. Yeah. Like your livelihood as a human being is, is going backwards. Right. Because you're not not only you're not making money, you're you're going to post a loss that alone, whatever is causing it, you got to regroup and do something else. Right. You can't keep living there. I can't keep selling cows if they ain't got no more fucking meat on them by the time they actually leave my farm. So by July of 96, after about two years, they they call it quits and they sold it. And I think actually this is. We're gonna have to do it, man. We're gonna have to do a part yeah. two. We're gonna um we're gonna break here. When we come back next week, we'll talk about who they sold it to and the conditions under which they sold it. And we're gonna talk all about the investigation that happened on the property as a result of all of these stories. Because one of the things that I think legitimizes this entire story is or all of these stories is that someone was convinced enough by the tales to say, we actually need to investigate this. Not just like, yo, those weird hill people are fucking crazy. It was way more like, we need to take this seriously. Let's take this. There's something to be, something to be learned from whatever it is that's happening. Even if it's, these people are having a shared hallucination, let's get to the bottom of it. And that did happen at Skinwalker ranch with Nids and Mr. Bigelow. And we'll, Deuce Bigelow, Bigfoot Gigolo. Bigfoot Gigolo. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about all of those things, including Spencer and I's theories, which we have many of, around what this is all about. Uh, we'll be doing that next week. So stick with us, and we'll see you next week on the What If Podcast. Yee. We'll be back next week with another episode of the What If Podcast. Learn more at www.whatifpodcast.com.